Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call BarryYourGold.com, and what it does is it goes into a container. You lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches. It's a 50-year warranty on the device. It only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground, and you can keep it for safekeeping. And I'll tell you, this is the way to hide your gold, not in false walls, but underground will be very, very difficult to detect. To find out more, go to BarryYourGold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee. Hey, everybody. Dave Hodges here, host of The Common Sense Show. We are the show that is freeing America, one enslaved mind at a time. Thank you so much for joining us. But because we're on digital, you get to help me expand my reach. And you've been doing that. Hey, uh, Listen Notes has us ranked in the top one half of 1% of 3 million podcasts. And that's because of you. But we need more because we got to raise the army, folks, to take our country back. The sound of marching feet needs to overwhelm these communists that have taken over our country. So please share far and wide. Additionally, you know we are brought to you by the best durable food company in the world, My Patriot Supply. And every day there seems to be a new attack upon the food system. And they want you dependent. And do you want to be in a Biden breadline? I know you don't. My Patriot Supply has a great special right now, $200 off the three-month emergency kit. You get 25-year shelf life, restaurant-quality food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner with that. So, like I said, you're not going to get sick of eating the same thing. And you're going to get 2,000 calories per day. Go to foodwithdave.com that's foodwithdave.com and we know the banks are in trouble if if you're looking at news at all alternative and mainstream you know the banks are in trouble but most people don't know the Dodd-Frank law 2010 says the banks can keep your money when they go down they can bail in and do a percentage or they can take the whole kit and caboodle and that's been that way for 13 years and most people don't know with the banks in trouble do you want to give them access to everything you have including your retirement I think not so right now Noble Gold wants to educate you and help you get as much out of the bank as you can diversify it with precious metals and leave operating capital in the bank so you don't take a huge hit now i need to give you an ftc disclaimer no investment is secure and guaranteed and past performance can't be construed for future expectations i wish they'd have done that for ftx and i want to say this about noble gold i've been an advertiser for six years i've been a customer for five and I've been back several times to do tweaks as my financial situations change. They're the most professional group I have ever worked with. Go to DaveHodgesGold.com and I'll rush you out an information packet. No one's going to call you. No one's going to pester you. You get to look at it in the privacy of your home. There'll be a number there for you to call or open up your account. That's DaveHodgesGold.com. Well, we have a guest who's returning, and he's been on both our TV and our radio before, Dr. Mark Sherwood. And we're going to get into some of the finer points of Title 42 and the devastating effect it's having on our country. You say, well, I don't see it. Well, it's affecting you, and we're going to get into how it's affecting you and what's going to likely happen down the road with this is Biden's on a one-man mission here with his administration to take down this country, and this is just one more way. Mark, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you could join us. Hey, Dave, thanks for having me again. I've been looking forward to it. I'm honored to be with you. Well, thank you. The honor's ours, my friend. Uh, now, we call you Dr. Mark Sherwood, so tell the people about your background. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a very background for sure. Uh, I've worn a lot of hats in my day. Going back in, I like to say, former life slash former career, I was a professional baseball player at one time in the country of Australia. And then I became a police officer in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I served proudly my community for 24 years. During my 24 years, 10 years of that, I was on the uh, department's SWAT team. While I was on the police department, I also doubled down as a traveling evangelist with the group called the Power Team, breaking the bricks and bending the steel and traveling around the world, many different countries, uh, continents, and television. And then after my police days, I went back to school and became a naturopathic 
doctor, where I now team up with my wife, Dr. Michelle, and we have what's called the Functional Medical Institute in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where we treat people really around the world. And uh, during the last 10 years, I guess, we've written three number one best-selling books. We've uh, made five full-length movies and had the wonderful opportunity to run for governor of the state of Oklahoma. So it's been a, a well-diversified path, my friend, but nonetheless very satisfying. Well, this is the opportunity that America affords its citizens. But I want to know just a little bit more about your baseball career. This is something new. I did not know about you. Uh, what position did you play? I was a catcher. And, um, you know, one interesting thing, you know, <clears throat> during my career, you know, you, you always want to, to play in the major leagues. That's everybody's ultimate dream as a little boy, I guess, or it was mine. And um, problem is, you know, I didn't have quite enough uh, talent to do that here. So I worked very, very hard and was able to play overseas and uh, really consider that a big old blessing. And that was back before cell phones and computers, so you have to grow up fast. So here I was, a, a 22-year-old kid playing baseball in Adelaide, Australia, and living over there on my own. So it was a quite a growing up experience, no, no doubt. And, by the way, um, interestingly enough, I won Rookie of the Year over there. Oh, awesome, awesome. Did you ever go into the minor league system here? I didn't. I came over here and I had a couple of tryouts when I got back, finally, you know. And it was a, a blessing to kind of be able to get signed. But I got cut early on. Being a 20, then 24-year-old catcher, uh, pretty good. But competing against the uh, 17- and 18-year-olds, obviously, I may have been a little more experienced, maybe a little better at the time, but they, they had you know youth on me, and, and I get it. So I, I never would have uh, got to catch on over here in, in America. Well, your career in baseball is much better than mine. I made an all-star team when I was 10, and I wanted to go to the major. <laughs> I wanted to go to the major leagues too, Mark, but that's as close as I got. Was my 10-year-old? Well, it's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I was lucky. That I played on a state championship team in baseball at my high school. We had uh, two. Uh, one guy is going to be a future Hall of Famer. I think he may be in now, but uh, another guy played major league baseball. We went undefeated, and I was not the reason why. <laughs> I was just. I was just another guy on that team baseball was my third sport but but i loved it. i was raised on baseball uh my dad was drafted by the cubs and then world war ii came mm. so uh yeah and then, then he just stayed in the navy so um yeah, that's really interesting i did not know that about you how'd you like uh, how'd you like uh, australia and did did they ever draw any crowds because i i think of australia as soccer and australian rules football yeah actually um i really enjoyed the country and of course i was over there in the opposite season so you know you gotta think about here a young guy from you know uh, middle class midwest america living over there during the christmas season when it's 100 degrees fahrenheit and we're having christmas around the pool it was really a weird experience you know yeah. uh, but the people really embraced me each team had a requirement then a max requirement of having only two americans which they fondly referred to as yanks and so I was called a bloody yank many times by the Aussies. And um, we actually um, won our league over there, which is really nice. Um, I enjoyed my time thoroughly over there. The people really were uh, just generally very kind and welcoming. And uh, and it was a absolutely great experience, Dave. How long were you there? I was there about a year and a half. Okay. Can you make a living doing that over there? You know, you... you you can, but over there it's different, you know. Uh, over there you're playing ball at night. Uh, they did draw crowds, by the way. It wasn't like you're going to draw 20,000 people here at a game. Over there you may draw 2,500 or maybe 5,000 at a championship, which we were able to play in over there and, and win. But um, over there, you know, you're paid a, a little bit. They pay your way, take care of you and all that. But they also give you a job to do as well during the day so you know when i was in town i had a job i could work for extra money so you do both but back then you know for a, a person being in the in the 80s at that point you know i was making a, a good amount of money and when i came back i had some money in my pocket and felt pretty good about that that's good yeah i kind of almost went down a similar path uh being a 5'11 guy and no three-point line when I play, that gives you a clue to my age. But, <laughs> but uh, 
um, you know, I, I, um, no one would touch me. And it's funny too, I was good friends with the Nuggets, people in the Nuggets organization because I ran, uh, their basketball camps. I kind of fell into that. And so I knew Larry Brown and Doug Moe and a lot of their players. And Larry said to me one day after I'd gone to a tryout camp and made a team in France, I looked at Australia. They didn't pay well enough then. That's changed now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was going to go to France and he said, Dave, go coach. He said, you'll play for 10 years and have nothing to show for it. So I, I compliment you for having the foresight to become a doctor. Uh, but also, too, the fact that you're a catcher means you're a tough guy and you're a SWAT team <laughs> guy. You're a double tough guy. So <laughs> I'll get in the foxhole with you anytime. But, but uh, I almost I almost went the foreign route. Very same situation. Two free trips over and back. They gave me a part. They were gonna give me an apartment. I'd work in a bank in my spare time. And uh, yeah, it was interesting. But I opted to go be a become a high school coach at the time so um anyway that's interesting that we we had that parallel there hey i want to get into title 42 with you because um i i'm this was interesting to be a little lighthearted and i'll say this to the audience this is where the lightheartedness stops because joe biden is single-handedly destroying this country with his immigration policies him and uh fidel mayorkas um Anyway, uh, what do you want to start with Title 42? We could go anywhere with this. Well, I think people, just a, a general basic understanding of what Title 42 is, Dave. It, says, it was uh, uh, executed in the sense allowing us to, in a very brief layman's term nutshell, to be able to expel people or keep them out on the basis of the old uh, spread of coronavirus. So it's a good thing, right? And so I'm glad that they instituted it, but... Ultimately, it was it was never enough, but at least it was a step kind of in the right direction. And, of course, now, as we know, as we sit here today, that Title 42 has, has expired, and now we're back to the, the policies that you alluded to a moment ago. But it's worse because people are actually being shipped here in great numbers. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, you said it something very poignant and very catchy at the top of your show you mentioned you know the success you've had podcasts and stuff and congratulations on that i think that's amazing good job well deserved well earned thank you because you work hard at it uh but at you mentioned something about building an army um that's exactly on the opposite end what these policies are doing they're building an army of loyal followers that are unwittingly being seduced by the idea we're going to take care of you we're going to uh, give you this give you that health care phones you know there's no, no such thing as health care but they get this idea of creating followers because they're unwittingly becoming slaves and these slaves will follow them where they go and it becomes a problem because I believe personally this these policies are, are generated to create votes long term to create a uh, the ability to be able to dominate these elected positions that create the policies. So, you know, it's a lot going on. And I can tell you, living in Oklahoma, we're one state north of a border state. And it is it is extraordinary, extraordinary to me how we as a country have been so short-sighted to not know what's going on, number one. But number two, allow it to continue this long. I can't agree with you any more than what you just said. Uh, we have met the enemy, and he is us. We've tolerated this. And, yes. and now we're in a difficult position where rather than opposing it, we've now got to turn it back around. Um, one of the things I wanted you to, to, to see if you've looked at, I've got two Border Patrol sources I've had since 2014, and they tell me that they know for a fact, and they don't know how many, but people are being uh, deported or imported into the interior of the country who have things like TB, Denege fever, very serious stuff. And uh, the Border Patrol and DHS agents are trying to avoid personal contact as much as possible because you don't really know who's sick and who's not, and they don't want to take it home to their families. What have you come across in terms of illnesses coming across, or is that too nebulous of a question because it's just everybody in and we don't care? I think it's more the latter, Dave. Honestly, everybody in, we don't care because ultimately it's about a mass amount of accumulation of votes. Uh, accumulation of loyal followers, loyal loyal um, slaves, if you talk about that, 
and the idea of it is they're not checking these people anymore. You're going to hear reports uh, from one side, oh, we're we're not seeing the numbers at the border. Well, it's because they're not checking. And you go back before when Title 42 was in force, there was at least some level of, of checking. So, of course, the the numbers that they say in report are going to be less. But it's actually, it's increasing. And thankfully, you know, there's been some movement from some governors to at least fortify the border and, and help fortify the border from neighboring states. I don't think that's enough. I do not. I think that there needs to be more. I think the sheriffs in these border counties need to be deputizing multiple people. I think we need to be protecting our counties, our cities, the citizens of America. And it's not just for the good of the people in America. Okay? We're, we're protecting people from a couple different angles I think people don't think about too much. What about the people that came here going through the process? We at the Common Sense Show have a great TV show. We bring in a panel of experts and help people navigate the uncharted waters that we're living in. Because what once was coming is no longer coming. It's already here, and we're getting you the help so you can make better decisions for your future. You can find us at the TV, commercial-free, censorship-free, and we're getting five-star ratings on the world's major platforms. Again, check us out today at TV. Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call buryyourgold.com. And what it does is it goes into a container. You lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches. It's a 50-year warranty on the device. It only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground. And you can keep it for safekeeping. And I'll tell you, this is the way to hide your gold. Not in false walls, but underground will be very, very difficult to detect. To find out more, go to buryyourgold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee. Did you know that the World Economic Forum now, they in the last meeting they convened, they actually had a water board there with water experts, and they tell us our water is in danger and they have to take control of our water. Does that bother anybody? I'm sure it does. And I begin thinking right now about water safety. And we already know there's lead in the water, chemicals in the water. A lot of it's not safe to drink. But we have the answer for you. It's called the Alexa Pure Pro Water Filter. It's the best there is. And scientifically, they leave nothing to doubt as they publish their research at waterwithdave.com. And it's my choice for water filtration. Gravity powered. It reduces 206 contaminants. It targets heavy metals, fluoride, chlorine, and viruses. It is the best there is in the business. And you can read all the research on this simply by going to water with dave.com that's water with dave.com save eighty dollars for a short time it's just the way they're supposed to be exactly and guys, those men and women have done it right and they've got to feel somewhat let down and the other side of the coin is some of these people that are being allowed in they're being unwittingly used and i feel like that to stop them from going through these illegal open border processes for entry is actually a good thing for them because it gives them an opportunity to really do things the right way, the legal way, and I think to let them in is actually the, the worst service we could do for them. I totally agree. I got taken to task by a gentleman named Jose, uh, and he regularly writes to me, and he said, Dave, I listened to you on the immigration thing, and you're right. But you don't really mention much about those of us like myself and my family that came here the right way. And it took them 15 years. And so to Jose, I hear you, and you just heard right here, and I promise I am going to mention this often. Um, So I, I deserve that criticism, and I'm so glad you brought that up, because there are very good people that come here, and this Jose is from Mexico City. And like Jose, they come here, and they just want to be part of the American dream, work hard, take care of their family, but they want to do it the right way, and we've got to really honor and hold those people up. 
We do. And um, this, this brings back a, a unique aspect of my previous career that I don't think many people are aware of. When I was in the Tulsa Police Department, I was tasked as a sergeant at that time to be in charge of what was referred to as the Hispanic Outreach Program. Now, back in those days, that was kind of the time where uh, there was a lot of activity with the uh, ICE agents that were roaming around at different businesses looking for uh, businesses that had employed people that were not uh, documented properly or whatever. My job, because my department was not involved in that, but wanted to understand it, was to go around and hold community meetings and listen and talk to people. And Dave, I learned so much from people. I learned from uh, many people that came up to me and said, you know, I learned to speak in broken Spanish enough to communicate, but they would come up to me and say, I want you to understand where I come from. I want to be here. You have a great country. It gives me opportunity. I make $5 a day in Mexico, and I can come over here and make more in one day than I make in months there. And I want to be here. It takes too long to get here. I want to be here, but I'm willing to go through the process to do everything I can to stay. And, and you don't have to honor that. And then at the same time, interestingly enough, I developed the compassion for those people that at that time were, were given to the go because they felt desperate. You know? I mean, I'm not saying I agree with it, but they were like, you don't understand, I'm a husband, I've got a wife and I've got kids, and if all's going to happen to me is I'm going to go swim across the river or jump across the fence or climb through a hole in the fence, you know, I can make some money, and the worst thing that's going to happen to me is they're going to send me back. So you can see that um, both, there's a lot of arguments and a lot of details here, but uh, this policy we have now, or non-policy, let's talk about it, is is creating a whole unique series of not just short-term problems about caring for people, but it's going to create long-term difficulties for this country and the people that are being allowed in here. Yeah, absolutely, uh, positively. And uh, it's generational problem. Um, there is a question that I want to ask you, and it's something I've been wondering. And this isn't meant to be negative towards immigrants, because my dad's side of the family is from Germany, uh, and and he was first generation. So when we look at this, I wonder though, how many people can we take from a third world country? Because we're not getting doctors and lawyers and college professors. We're getting people of meager means that want to work their way up. And uh, how many people can you take from a third world country until you're the next third world country? Great question. I think that boils down to a couple different things. Number one, if we're training these people, like you just alluded to, with the idea to come in here, get an education, become an effective contributor to the workforce, have a dream. Maybe there's a the next doctor coming from Mexico that wants to go through the system and learn. Under that kind of concept, coming in the right way, with a dream in hand, with accountability in mind, with this idea of non-entitlement but earning your way, I think that's number one. If, if that were the case, then I think truly the sky's the limit with the opportunities that we have in America because that's the American dream. On the other hand, with what we're doing right now, we're creating a generation, and I call it a generational curse of entitlement, where you allow these people to come over and they have kids. The kids know nothing about this dream, Dave. Nothing. I know. I know that. They're brought up in an entitlement family. And it's not going to be their fault. It's going to be a result of a lack of education, a lack of historical perspective and reference. And I, I feel strongly that that's what's happening. And it's going to cause a collapse in our system that we have over the course of time. And I think that course of time is is not going to be like 50 years. I mean, it could be in the next 10, 20, or 25 years the way we're going. And, and that grieves me deeply. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, th there's so many ways I could take this, but um, here's the, another concern I have, and it kind of dovetails in on a side alley to what you just said. With AI taking thousands of jobs a month and it's only going to get worse, 
you've got people coming in at the bottom rung of the ladder economically for the most part, and they're going to be the first ones displaced if they can find employment. I think they're already uh, being displaced now, you know. I mean, you think about it, busing them in, busing them around, flying them around the country and dropping them off. What do you have? You got a person there with uh, a location. Maybe you, the government pays them a place to stay. They're not getting them jobs, none of that. And at the same time, the workforce that they would most likely fit into, the AI is taking that away. Computers are doing more, people are doing less. And so it's on both angles. You can't have it both ways. But yet this administration right now seems to be hell-bent at all costs, no matter what the cost would be to our country or to freedom or to both groups we talked about. They don't care. At all costs, they want to maintain power. So they'll use people to maintain power because it's really about profitability. Profitability is, is in their minds. It's about how I can profit myself from my little kingdom. And at that cost... It's going to cost everybody something, including those people. So I concur with you on that, and I do think the problem is most likely going to get a lot worse. Yeah, I think it's it's going to just explode. And then you're going to have all the problems with people that are not employed and are having trouble you know, making ends meet. And then that becomes a social issue, and people that might not ordinarily commit crimes may not have any choice. That's right. And from a law enforcement standpoint... Again, I go back to, I learned so much from people that were in desperate situations. Desperate people do desperate things, even though those things might not match their character. And that's in all of us. We all can fall into that trap. If somebody's trying to feed his family or whatever, and he's no options, he might not be thinking rationally or with even sanity. So you're right. It's going to create a, a social issue. It's going to create probably a health issue at some point because as you mentioned earlier you know you're not going to have the resources to care for them and ultimately i want people to kind of think about this can you imagine a country as great and awesome as these united states of america transitioning into a country where you have these few elitists that run the darn thing and everybody else is kept at a equal wage, equal benefits, all get the same rights or not, or permissions, let's say. That's exactly communism. And that's exactly where this is headed, Dave, because it takes from these people, you know, that are the middle class, and it says, you know what? You got too much. Let's give it to that group over there. And maybe you're not working. Maybe they're not because they choose not to. Maybe they can't because there's no jobs. So you, think, you see where we're going yeah. with this. It's heading that direction. So you think it sets up a Cloward and Piven kind of wealth redistribution? I do, absolutely. That's and I, I believe that fits the, fits the mentality of what we're seeing here, you know, because we're seeing this tendency uh, of centralized power and control, and that takes it away from the people. And the best way to do that is to silence and repress the people. That's that's something I really hadn't given a lot of thought to, and I think you're right. One thing I have given thought to, though, I think it's also a subset of a Maoist cultural revolution we're going through. Let me give you an example. We used to, when we talked about gay people in the past, oh, they're out of the closet, and we were very insulting to them. And I've always been one, look, I, I don't care what you do in your bedroom. I don't want to know what you do in your bedroom, but don't promote your lifestyle on me. Now, that's my feeling about that, and I won't do it to you. But now we're glorifying everything that's non-traditional. Anything that ends in procreation, we're, we're, we're not honoring. We're not honoring the family. We're not honoring spiritual values or religion. Uh, we're honoring what we used to refer to as perversion. And and now you take a look at this, Mark. It's it's uh, like what Mao did when he took over China. He just took he just upset the culture, turned it upside mm-hmm. down. We're doing it with that issue. And now when you bring in people whose ways are different, their language is different, they don't understand our government, they don't understand our laws, uh, 
Do you, I, I kind of see it the same way. I mean, I think this is a, a, a an attempt to uphee, uh, really upset the culture, so they can impose the culture they want. Well, I agree, and let's keep in mind people can differ or vary in how they view this, but the idea of God was emblazoned within the origination of this country that we now call America. The idea of God or the Supreme Creator was really mentioned numerous times in founding documents, and yet the more you take away those principles in the idea of a God who created mankind to have males and females and procreate, etc., what you mentioned is God's design. Anything that sort of diverts away, Dave, from God's design is a perversion yes. of God's design. And the more you get away from the design of God and pervert things, it's naturally the opposite of God. And if God is all love and the opposite is all evil, that's where you're going. And you turn people over to their own ideas and schemes because they have no reference point. You know, I think it was Ben Franklin that said, um, freedom and liberty is only available to us and understood, and I'm paraphrasing, if you have a moral guide or moral compass. And the moral compass is God, right? And give that thing in your, in your life that says, man, I shouldn't do that or I should do that. When you take away right and wrong, upset that whole thing from the standard of America's founding fathers and America's founding period, you, you are left with the rest. And that rest is a lack of understanding of that. And that's what we're creating around now. The more people that don't understand that, the more they, they, they get away from that. The farther they drift off from where we're supposed to be going. Yeah, that, I, I so agree with you. I didn't use the word perversion in the current sense. Uh, look, at it's a sin what they're doing from a Christian perspective uh, and what they're promoting. And the people that are promoting it are just as guilty. But the problem with all this is I, we're all protected by the same laws. This is why I don't understand why we have to have special provisions for people that are engaged in uh, numerically unique behaviors. How about that as a statement? And and I, and I don't understand that at all. But what we don't honor is what made America great, the family unit. You know, the famous uh, sociologist Amitai Etzioni, he said, the family can exist without the state, but the state can never exist without the family. And that's exactly what's happening now is we're, we're basically breaking down the family unit and the values that held people together. We are in, you know, in, you know, you happen to be a male man and I happen to be a male man. When you demasculate the manliness, the male features of a population, you take away the seed of procreation. So the seed I'm talking about is not just about the ability of the sperm to fertilize the egg. I'm talking about the seed of the ability to procreate anything, right? When you stop being able to perpetuate something from generation to generation, it dies. So in the scenario I gave you from a life standpoint, life dies. But when you talk about morality, you talk about emotional health and even spiritual health, Dave, that is gone when you lose the ability to push forward that seed of life or truth down into a population over the course of, you know, the Common Sense Show is proud to be able to bring you some very special deals for my pillow. For example, they've got half off my pillow bed sheets, more than half off their slippers, their sandals, their mattresses, their topper covers, women's lingerie. Now, they have extremely great products, as you all know. Ladies and gentlemen, right now go to mypillow.com backslash Hodges. Use the coupon code Hodges to take advantage of these great opportunities. Mypillow.com backslash Hodges, coupon code Hodges. And, and that is one of my greatest concerns right there, right there now, because these things, these truths we're talking about right now are not taught in families, in schools. And, you know, Churches becoming compromised in many ways. And then government and medicine, I mean, what are we doing? How far have we came from the idea of reality? A long, long ways. Yeah, you're so right. And and if you look at, too, the grooming and things going on in the schools, 
is promoting this uh, cultural upset in the long term. I, I mean, I, I read the other day that as many as 25 to 30 percent of our young people in elementary school have gender confusion that we didn't have five years ago. Well, we plant seeds. You know, <laughs> children are like a nice fertile ground. You know, they receive anything. You know, think about the neuroplasticity of a child. I put my little quasi-physiological hat on here. But think about the neuroplasticity of the child, being able to learn a language without going to school, being able to learn life lessons without going to school. I'm talking about this idea that you have before even school started. When you start planting seeds into a child's life, whether good or bad, they're going to grow. And the more seeds of a kind that you plant, the more crop that will yield. And the more crop that yields, remember, let's think about this. A crop, a plant comes up and it actually many times disperses seed to reproduce that same crop over the course of time. And we plant these seeds of a thought that, hey, Johnny, have you ever thought that you might be Jane? Or, hi, Jane, have you ever thought that you might be Johnny? Those thoughts are seeds. It's the same seed, Dave, that you can say to little Johnny. Hey, little Johnny, have you ever thought about bringing a gun to school to hurt somebody? Okay, why are we going there? You know, why would we plant that seed? Because we're trying to infiltrate the minds of children to create long-term crops of deception and, as you mentioned earlier, perversion. Yeah, uh, like I said, it's the cultural upset. So now that immigrants are coming into the country in record numbers, how does this affect them, this uh, cultural revolution we're going through? Because one saving grace for most of the immigrants is they're Catholic. At least there's a base there. Yeah, I learned that again in speaking with people way back when, years ago. There is a base of that is. Look at even the honor in some of the uh, Mexican-American families. You know, they still have that concept, you know, of, of at least a moral foundation. And, and frankly, that's the only saving grace. Uh, I think there's probably a secondary one I should mention is people that come over, they understand value better than probably Americans do. They understand the value of the dollar better than Americans do, value of hard work. You know, they will work because they came from a place of less opportunity. And they see the opportunity, so they'll go to work if given the opportunity. So you, you see that, and then, and then Americans complain about that, you know, because, like, well, you know, they don't want to work because at the same time they're taught not to work because you can stay home and draw a check and make more money than if you went to work. So... It's going to affect both groups. And you're seeing both of those groups being, frankly, used and manipulated. You're seeing people here being that are, let's call them, citizens of these United States. But you're seeing a good group of people manipulated that you don't have to go to work to earn a living. We're going to take care of you. In other words, entitlement. And you see the other group come in that are trying to go to work, but you mentioned earlier the... There might not be enough jobs because of the AI development. So it's going, it's becoming quite a quandary, and it's going to become a backlog. And I think the saving grace we have within the whole process is these conversations right here that are honest and open. And I pray and encourage people to share this information out there, and don't be afraid to talk about it. Talk about it with immigrants. Talk about it with people that did do it right. Talk about it with people even you run across that maybe came over the wrong way. I mean, share the conversation so there can be better understanding of not just the short term, let me get to America or whatever. And, but what does it mean? What does it mean to be in America? These kind of conversations are critical. Yeah, well, they don't have any idea because most of them come from third world countries with tin horn dictators, and corruption is the rule of day, of which the Biden administration fits right into. But in terms of the ideal American society, they have no concept. You know, when my family came here, they were required to naturalize for seven years, 
They had to learn the language. They had to pass a test on the Constitution and U.S. history. Now we just cut people loose. There's absolutely no guidance for them to assimilate. Yeah, a promissory note to appear at a certain date and time in the undetermined future. That's kind of what that is right there. You know, yeah, they just yeah, come ten, in. Ten years down the road, and, and 99% of them will never show up. So, Yeah. You I, told me ten years ago where I was supposed to be ten years from then. I'm going to have to figure out a way to write that down and remember that because that's a decade. And it's absurd to think what we're doing. And, and you are you are spot on correct. The people that came over here and immigrated in the right way, and I've talked to them, they swear to uphold the Constitution. They know the Constitution far, far better than many persons that were born here know the Constitution. And to me, that is completely unacceptable. But that is the way it is. Yeah, you know, I'm looking at what's waking America up. And more Americans are waking up. It's not translating to action yet, but they are waking up. But it's not the immigration issue, like I thought it would, unless you're on the border or you're in a community where you're greatly affected by it. But what's really waking people up is the wokeness. Uh, if you look at without organized boycotts, Target, uh, Bud Light, and Disney are going broke. Yeah, I do agree with you. I think the, uh, you know, the attack, you think about this. I, I like the word. I want people to think about the word boycott. Really, really interesting way to look at it, you know, right? But the idea of the two-pronged, you know, infiltration of what we're trying to do here, you know, you got our borders, which are country borders, county borders, city borders, uh, culture borders, let's say. But this border you're talking about with the, wokeness with the transgender issues that are that crosses what I call personal borders personal borders meaning it crosses the borders of the personhood that we are and there's not a person out there that's listening right now that would not understand that when you attack like you Dave if if someone said to you look Dave you may think you're a guy, but you're really not. Just trust me on this, Dave. You're not really a guy. You're going to go, what are you talking about? And that's going to be an affront on your personal space, right? Because that's who you are. And this issue right here is going to be the catalyst to make people say, look, okay, you can have your policies over here, and I may not live in a border town. That may not be affecting me right now. I believe it will. But this is affecting me because it's affecting my children. It's affecting my community. It's affecting people. And you're not going to have my children, you see. And so I think that's what is going to be a catalyst to get people to rise up in a organized, constitutionally-minded, God-centric, God-directed manner and begin to make some difference and push back. Yeah, I agree. I look at another serious issue on the border, uh, and it's the subject of child sex trafficking. What have you learned about that and the nature of it? Because it's never covered in the mainstream media. So here's the way it works. I'm going to just kind of give people this strategy that is. All right, so let's say you're a family that's uh, coming through um, Mexico from wherever and you want to come to the southern border into America. There are organized criminals over there that sort of are associated and are working with and or are part of the cartel, the Mexican cartel, which controls a lot of drugs and things like that. These coyotes, which are their name, they're responsible for sort of smuggling or taking charge of getting people from Mexico into the U.S., and they might say to your family, Dave, you know, hey, you've got like um, two daughters here. And in exchange for us to get you across and get you safe passage, one of your daughters here is going to work for us for a period of time. And after five years, we'll release her back to you. But she's ours for five years in exchange for you guys going across. That's kind of how it starts. And then that's not where it ends because the five years goes by and they're not released. They're already embedded in that and they've already been sort of indoctrinated. And frankly, there are people 
in America, really all around the world, that are absolute perverts. And they will take advantage of these young people like this. And it's not just females, it's males too. But females are the main target. But there are people here that will take advantage of that. And that's sad. And that's kind of how that process works. And it's, they'll do the same thing with uh, running drugs across. You know, they'll give it to a child, you know, to run a, you know, quantity of fentanyl across, you know, and distribute it somewhere, which is going to kill people. Both kill people. One kills someone morally, one kills someone pe- people physically. I hear you speak about this, and I just get so angry. Um, yeah. What, I guess what, I, what I'm wondering here is, what should we be doing about government officials like Biden, Mayorkas, uh, Merrick Garland, that they know these abuses are going on, the fentanyl, the child trafficking, and they facilitate it? Do we have the any options? Because Congress is not going to do anything. They'll, they'll have endless no. investigations, but they're, at the end of the day, they'll do nothing. Our pseudo-party system in Washington is out of hand. They are overfunded, overhyped, and far under-deliver. People need to quit depending on the federal government to do anything good, bad, or indifferent. Make them irrelevant by making yourself relevant. This is the answer that people need to get, and I, I hope these words will permeate the heart of somebody out there today. If you got to own the local before you can control the national, own the local. And what do I mean by that? That means get involved in with your local sheriffs. Demand that the sheriff shuts down the county. Demand that that sheriff would at least consider the idea of saying, you know what, this is my county and I'm the highest ranking law enforcement officer and the feds have no permission to be here unless they go through me. Maybe there's a governor out there that had the courage to say, you know what, um, I appreciate the FBI, the ATF, the DEA, but hey, you got like a month to get your stuff out of our state because you're not welcome. And that gives people their power back because you look at the Tenth Amendment of the United States Constitution, it clearly says the states and the people, you know, they hold the power unless you specifically give it over to the federal government. One of the government's powers, no doubt, is to control our borders, but they're not doing it. So if they're not doing it, that makes their inability to do that or unwillingness, that's unconstitutional. So we have to take that duty on, too. We have to secure our borders, and it's got to be done locally. And sheriffs and governors are the key, in my opinion. The sheriffs are elected officials from counties, so you can actually make change down there at the county and local level that would have a massive, massive national impact. Well, having impact, that's the key. And... um what what kind of action do the people what can we take i mean people say well we'll pick up the guns and go to civil war that's not practical i always say next right. what, what can we do we've got to get involved in um, local city councils local school boards get involved with local civic groups and if you're called to run for a local office you should i mean winning is not the end-all be-all dave saying yes to the call is Right, saying yes to the call is a win. The more people that say yes to those calls of action will do that. you you got to hold your local officials accountable. Become active, become vocal, be peaceable, but do that. And then, So that's how you get active, but on your own front, in your own home, in your own area. If you're a pastor out there, you, you educate your family, you educate your congregation on these simple constitutional principles that align with biblical principles as well you make sure that you create an education platform of that maybe you get your kids out of public school and put them into a, put them into a private Christian school and fund that thing right and begin to live kind of independently or self-governmentally where you're not dependent upon the federal government to feed you clothe you educate you anymore and and that kind of mindset is not it's not counterculture at all it's original culture that's what we used to do and that's the way the constitution is set up where the people have the power and and that kind of mindset is something that's got to be retained re-ingrained re-educated and sort of re 
activated, if you will, if we want to hang on to this idea of a constitutional republic. Yeah, and that, that whole idea is being torn down in the schools. Uh, there was a lady in, in Colorado, I interviewed her telephonically about a year and a half ago, uh, her name is Sharona Bishop, and she was going around to the schools and she was educating parents on how to uh, FOIA curriculum, uh, FOIA the books in the library if they wouldn't let the parents in. And she went to nine school districts and worked with various parent groups. Now, these are all constitutionally protected activities, and she was completely lawful. Well, one morning, the FBI kicks in the door of her mountain home. They put guns to everyone's heads, including the kids. They manhandled her teenage daughter. They didn't have a warrant when they entered the premises. They took every electronic they could find and she was guilty of nothing and and by the way just as a point here Merrick Garland son-in-law and daughter own Panorama Education which specializes in the 1619 project and CRT mm-hmm. so talk about a conflict of interest but back to the parents though the, the government's coming after people who stand up they, they when they talk about immigration they're auditing your taxes when you go to school yep. board meetings they're kicking in your doors yeah and people like in the outset of our show today, you were talking about sort of uh, preparing, right? And, and let's think about this for a second. You know, you mentioned something about, you know, gold or silver. Um, we need to be aware of how to obtain and retain goods and services, tangible assets, so that we can develop again and exist again in sort of a bartering system, you know? We've got to get back to that idea. I'm not saying we will see the dollar completely go away in the next two years, but I think we will in the next 20 years. It's going to go to a digital currency, and that's going to be an easy sell for most people. So we've got to figure out how to prepare now, and I think people are waking up to this kind of concept. And parents, understand, please, you have an amazing God-gifted opportunity and responsibility to raise and train your kids in the way they should go. And if you see them being trained by someone else, take them out of that indoctrination program and put them under a situation where you know what they're being taught, you're comfortable with it, and you know as a parent you're meeting your responsibility. How many people are crossing the border every month? Do you have an estimate? Man, that number is going to be literally impossible to determine because, you know, you're going to get varying reports unless you're living right there and have sort of this wide band of uh, of video tracking capability. There's just no way to tell. But I do know people that live down there, and they tell me firsthand that it is bus after bus by group, by group, by group. And it's endless. And it never stops. And they're not being impeded at all. And so, based upon that, we know that the problem is growing. Do we know how much number-wise? Probably not. I don't know that we'll ever know. But ultimately, one in the wrong way is one the wrong way. And I'm all about understanding that when you open the door, cracks the gates open, if you will, you allow a flood to come in. We have to close the door to compromise, close, close the door to perversion, to immorality, all these things. And my advice to people is to, you know, from a policy standpoint, I'd like to see someone come in that has some courage and, you know, stop all immigration for a time, put a moratorium on that. Figure out who's here, who's supposed to be here, who's not supposed to be here, what stage are you in, get the process fixed before you ever open it up anymore. Yeah, I, I but you have to have some enforcement mechanism, which we don't have. And it's, um, there's another concern I have too, and that's the national security issue. Back in 2020, one of my broadcast partners, uh, Doug Thornton uh, from DHS, he was a supervisor in Portland, and he was still active, and I used to talk to him nearly every day. And Doug 
said, Dave, you're going to hear about three weapons caches they found around the country, pre-stored, high-grade weapons. And they're going to say they're for Antifa. He said, do not believe them. Uh, And I said, why not? He said, Antifa's Molotov cocktails. They're not high-grade M16s, AK-47s, that kind of thing, 50 calibers. He said, that's what they found. And he said, this is for troops that will be crossing our border in a clandestine manner and he was speaking from his dhs experience has your research come across anything like this what my friend doug said i've heard that before i don't have any concrete data on that but i've heard that uh, from people as well and uh, boy that's a sobering thought isn't it you know about that even being potentially happening in a country like here um when i hear that and when i have heard that my first thought is, my God, people, if you have guns, don't ever give them up. You know, if you have the ability to buy more bullets, buy more bullets. Start thinking about protecting your home and your loved ones. Absolutely. But I just, I worry about the predetermined and the, the, the national security risk of people crossing. What do you know about Chinese nationals, males, traveling together, young males, fighting age, no families, no women with them, crossing the border uh, in, in mass? Uh, have you come across that as well? Yep, that happens. Um, there is a massive, um, at least, Assertion: There's a huge partnership between the CCP leadership and the cartel. Uh, it's a partnership that helps infiltrate uh, fentanyl. It helps infiltrate land purchases to affect our food supply. I mean, even in my own home state of Oklahoma, over 300,000 acres have been purchased by uh, companies associated with the CCP or or Chinese nationals because there's loopholes everywhere. And so that insertion allows our country to be sort of under attack from the inside out and it allows this ability of people on the inside to gather, store, communicate information from the inside. And I've said this from, for many years. America will never be destroyed from the outside in. We are only susceptible from the inside out and the more we allow our insides to be corrupted the more corruption is going to bloom and we become weak everywhere that's yeah i totally agree with you on that one last question here about the medical field i know that illegal aliens can go to hospitals and they have to be treated even for things as simple as colds and flu uh, do you see this in your own practice, in your wife's practice as well? Are you required to give an illegal immigrant free treatment? Well, we're not because we're out of the system. I mean, we're not in any insurance system. But um, on the converse side of that, if somebody's working in the hospital and somebody shows up and you are a physician, you're you're bound to give them attention and care and i guess from a moral standpoint that's good right because that's what we do we love people we help people but from a standpoint of the mass number of people that could be dealt with and are being dealt with there is no mechanism to fund that it's just death that is written off and the more you write that off the more you're going to see what you're seeing right now the hunger and the strategies to create profit in the medical system is going to filter down to mean less health for less people because you've got to think about profits. And I'll, I'll give my, my wife a, a shout-out here. You know, she was fired from a conventional medical system, you know, 15 years ago because too many people got too well and didn't need her. Well, that's what they're supposed to do. Oh, my God. You know what? You hear that with cancer. They don't want to get the cure for cancer because it's a return business until they die. Yeah, no, she was she was canned for that because, you know, she's, she's a great physician. She's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. But she's got a heart bigger than that, and she was actually getting people well. Yeah. And actually, but you know, we, what we do now is, is like that. We get people well, and we're happy. But ultimately, that's where it's going. That's why America's health has got so poor. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's been a pleasure having you on. Can you tell us how we can follow your good work? And you said a little bit about your books. 
Yes, sir. I appreciate you, Dave, for having me. People can go to Sherwood.tv. That's kind of where we have Hub Central and what we do. Um, our books, real quick, they, we have three. Quest for Wellness, Fork Your Diet, and Surviving the Garden of Eaton. People like those catchy titles. I like that, yes. So, <laughs> there's a couple movies out there people can get. Fork Your Diet, the movie. Uh, my wife's story of what I just told you is out there. It's called The Prayer List. And then we have one more called WWJR. And then a couple more movies coming out. Okay. In, uh, not too distant future. All right, Mark, on that note, we got to close, my friend. I want to thank you for coming on. Look forward to talking to you again. You're welcome, Dave. God bless you, man. Thank you. We at the Common Sense Show have a great TV show. We bring in a panel of experts to help people navigate the uncharted waters that we're living in. Because what once was coming is no longer coming. It's already here, and we're getting you the help so you can make better decisions for your future. You can find us at the TV, commercial-free, censorship-free, and we're getting five-star ratings on the world's major platforms. Again, check us out today at TV. Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call BarryYourGold.com, and what it does is it goes into a container. You lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches. It's a 50-year warranty on the device. It only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground, and you can keep it for safekeeping. And I'll tell you, this is the way to hide your gold, not in false walls, but underground will be very, very difficult to detect. To find out more, go to BarryYourGold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee.